with God every day. Every day. Every day. I will spend time with God. I will pray. I will pray. 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 I will pray. I will be holy. I will be holy. 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 I will be. I will be holy. I will fulfill God's purpose for me and my generation. My generation. My generation. I will fulfill God's purpose. God's purpose for my generation. For me and my generation. My generation. I will live the vow. Well, it's great to be here with you guys today. I am so having so much fun with my brothers. I don't get to do this, so I am loving it. I mean, sitting on the front row with David on one side and Dan on the other. I mean, how awesome is that? I'm from Kansas City. Um, I'm a part of the International House of Prayer, if you've heard of that. Um, Just a little bit about me for a second. I have an awesome husband, man of God, named Matt Candler, and... We've almost been married nine years, Um, thank you, in September. About 10 years ago, David called me on the phone one day. He'd spent the day with Matt. It was their first time they'd ever hung out. They went for coffee and they ended up spending hours together. He calls me, he says, Dana, I met the man you're going to marry. He said, he's awesome. You'll love him. He's great. He's just like me. And lo and behold, Dave prophesied, and we got married, really, within a year of of that phone call, nearly. So we've been married about nine years. We have two kids. I have a little three-and-a-half-year-old girl named Madison, little boy, one-and-a-half, named David, and they are, of course, our pride and joy. And like I said, we are a part of the International House of Prayer 24-7 prayer meetings. It's been going since 99. All through the day, all through the night, loving Jesus in worship and prayer. We love it. We love it. We love it. So I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 22. We're going to talk about the first commandment. We're going to talk about love giving all. The first commandment, when Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So let me just pray. Lord Jesus, we love you in this place. And Lord, I ask for a presence of your Holy Spirit upon our hearts. Lord, for every heart in this room, I ask for some of those divine arrows by your spirit that caused the human heart to be arrested by love and to be gripped to give all in return. God, you are the one who from everlasting has loved and is love and loves us. We, the weak ones, we are the apple of your eye. You desire us. You have set your love upon us. And so I ask you, oh God, in this, in this next time together, that you would cause your spirit, I ask for that tenderizing in our hearts, that we would feel that sweet presence, and that you would, in, in these next moments, that you would cause our hearts, that you would mark us in such a way that even years later we could look back and say it was that moment The Holy Spirit gripped my heart, and I said yes in the deepest place. I ask for that. I ask for that, Jesus, because I know it's in your heart to give it. We thank you and we love you. 
Amen. When I was about 20 years old, I remember a really key moment in my life. I was sitting in the car with my sister Deborah, who is our other triplet. She's four minutes younger than me. David is four minutes over, so four minutes older, so, you know, he's four minutes more my elder. And for all of our lives, he's claimed four minutes greater intelligence. I'll give him that. So I'm sitting in the car with my sister Deborah, and I'm 20 years old, and she says to me, she says, Dane, she says, the Lord has gripped my heart in such a massive way. She says, I it's, it's so much more than we've thought. It's so much more than we've imagined. Knowing Jesus is so much more than we ever knew. Dane, there's a whole ocean out there called the God of love, the knowledge of God. She said, I'm going for it. She said, I am, I'm giving my life to go search out the deep, to go search out the depths of God. And she began to tell me, about the way that she was going to give herself in the realm of prayer, in the realm of fasting. In a real consecrated, significant season, she was telling me the details of her, what she, she felt she was going to do in, in the next few years in prayer and fasting. And in that moment, I can look back and I could say, the Lord arrested my heart in a very significant way. With this, it's, it's kind of like when your whole Christian life turns from black and white to full color. Oh God, who are you? Oh God, what, what, are, what are the things that you have to give me? You, you are so much more than I ever imagined. And you've given me access. You've given me entrance to know you at the deepest level. Oh God, I don't know you. I don't know you at all. And I felt that, that same gripping in my heart to give my life, to sow my years to know him. A few months later, I'm sitting across the table from a friend of mine who, who I hardly knew at the time. Now she's one of my best friends. And she's talking about Jesus. And as she's talking about Jesus, she has tears streaming down her face. And she says, I want to love him in the way he's worthy to be loved. She has tears streaming down her face. And I remember in that moment, I looked at those tears and I'd known Jesus my whole life. Got saved when I was four, grew up with godly, godly parents. I had known Jesus. But I looked at those tears and I saw something I did not know. And there was a longing awakened in me. I call it the longing to long. It was, oh God, I don't even know what it is to long for you in that way. But I want to. And again, my heart was moved to go in a pursuit to know that man, the man named Jesus, who is God who is the God of love. I want to talk in this session about loving God with all of our hearts. And the only way that we will ever do the first commandment, the only way we'll ever love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength 
is if we first encounter and know his love for us. That's the only way in. I see it as this great mountain, you know, the mountain of holiness, the mountain of consecration, the mountain of giving God everything, the first commandment. The only way to ascend that mountain is to actually fall in love. Love alone will take that mountain. You will never, ever be able to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to give you everything. God, I'm really going to do it this time. Forget it. Only the heart that is so wounded by love, the heart that has been so gripped, I, I think I always think of Paul the Apostle, wounded by love. He had no other options. They beat him in one city. He, they, think, they leave him for dead. He goes back in. Why? Because he's in love with the man that he's waiting to split the skies. He's saying, I am in love with Jesus. I have to go back. He's a bondservant of love. Love alone takes the mountain. The only way that we will ever do the first commandment, the only way we'll ever love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength is if we're actually in love. That's what I saw in the tears of my friend that day. I saw love. It was, it was a, a love of longing and hunger and desire that was moving her into greater realms of abandonment. If you're in your own life, if you're asking God, God, how can I be abandoned? How can I, how can I you know, really be on fire for Jesus? How can I really do that? I'm giving you the answer. Find out how much he loves you. Find out. And it has to be personal, a personal encounter with love. Now, if you've grown up with, you know, Sunday school being in the church, your familiarity with the subject of the love of God is already an enemy to you. Probably one of the greatest enemies we have if we've grown up in the church is our familiarity that leads to dullness where we write off truths of God and say, I know that one, and we never enter. So I encourage you today, open your heart anew to be, to be changed and transformed by the love of God. That is what will take that mountain. There's a quote by one of my favorite men of history. His name was Bernard of Clairvaux. I actually named my little daughter after him. Her name, her name is Madison Clairvaux. We call her Maddie Claire. He said, if we love with our whole being, nothing is lacking where everything is given. Let me say it again. If we love with our whole being, nothing is lacking where everything is given. In other words, the question of, how do I love God with everything? If we love with all that we are in the here and now, we've loved him. Nothing is lacking where everything is given. It's so important that we meet the eyes of Jesus. I want you to picture this right now. I want you to picture yourself in that crowd in Matthew 22. There you are. Guess what? 
He was a real man. He still is. Seated at the right hand of the Father, he's alive. So there he was, in the flesh, a real man. You know what? He's probably not quite as tall as you're imagining. He's probably not Anglican like all the pictures portray. He's actually Jewish. He's a real man. You know what? He's got a real tone in his voice. When he hits certain specific words, he says them, you know, in that distinct way that every individual has. He makes certain facial expressions. I just want to break some of our paradigms. Jesus is real. We're going to see a real man one day. The one that we love, the Son of God who is God that's going to return. We're going to lock eyes with him one day in a real moment with a real man. He's fully God and he is a man. So picture, you're in the crowd, and there he is. And I just lock eyes with that man, Jesus, and he says, love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first and great commandment. And as he speaks this, what I, want, what I want to bring to us in this session is I want to convey the weight behind that command. Jesus was only commanding what love demands because the nature of love is that it gives all. How do we know what love is? Well, God is love and God defines it. And God has defined love as giving everything. Right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. There's another familiar verse, John 3:16. We all know it. We all have it memorized. The weight behind even that one little word gave now, let me paint the picture. It's eternity past, before the worlds were. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the Godhead, three in one. Love, unending, perfect, holy, light, unapproachable. Dwelling together in perfect love. God is love. In the three persons of the Trinity, one unto another, giving unto another in love, perpetually, without end. Tell me, what kind of glory, what kind of delight, what kind of communion was before time? There, the Father and the Son, the only begotten, God's only Son, the express image of the Father dwelling with him. They created together, Proverbs 8, I was beside him as a master craftsman, and I was daily his delight. Jesus, with the Father at creation, creating the worlds together. And it says in Proverbs 8 that Jesus was spinning and dancing. He says, my delight was with the sons of men. Tell me, what kind of fellowship and what kind of love did the Father and Son have before time? And what that leads you to is what has the Father done 
in the giving of his only son. What does that little word gave actually mean? There was a ripping in the heart of God that we, we can't, it's the, it's the inability to comprehend. We cannot comprehend how far God has gone in love. In fact, we will sing with all the heavenly hosts in worship for all the ages about that one thing that you gave your only son. Madison has the animated version of Abraham and Isaac. You know, and that's this natural portrayal of the father giving his only son. When, when Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac, obeying, obeying the Lord. And as we're watching it, you know, when, when, when she first got the movie over and over, we'd be watching it and she, we'd get to that part and she'd want me to explain it, you know? Like, what's he doing, mom? What's Abraham doing to Isaac? And, and so many times as I would be sitting there watching this movie with her, I would be moved to, to the deepest place in my heart and with tears going, God, what have you done in the giving of your only son? We don't do that. We don't even know love like this. The, in fact, the only crossover of knowledge we could possibly have with that kind of love is if we've encountered you, for you are that love. But it's, it's insane. It's unthinkable. Oh, God, who are you in your love? What have you done? The father gave everything in the giving of his son. And then the son, the way that God has defined love is the way that the son gave his life. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life. So Jesus, one of my favorite verses lately is from Hebrews 10, 10 10.5. It says, speaking of Jesus, it says, Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire. A body you have prepared for me. I delight to do your will, O God. Jesus is speaking. Catch that. When he came into the world, there he was, the eternal son from everlasting with the Father, with the Spirit, in love and communion and fellowship of light. He comes into the world. When he came into the world, in other words, when he became a man, that little baby we find in a manger, as he's descending in that great descent from highest riches to lowest poverty, he says, Father, I know what's in your heart. I know that sacrifice and offering you did not desire. You don't want this, it this way. And so a body you've prepared for me so that I might be the lamb. And Father, I delight to do your will. It's written in the book of me. I delight to do your will. That's the heart of the Son. 
as he lays down his life for us. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than in the laying down of the whole of his life for another. This is what love is and what love does. Love gives all. So there you are, you're sitting in front of Jesus. Now think of it in light of his eternal existence. Jesus says, love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And what he's essentially saying is love me in the way I've always loved. This is what love does. Love gives everything. So give me your everything. And to any of us that have approached that first commandment with just, you know, that feeling of, God, you're really asking a lot. You know, we read heart, we read mind, we read soul, we read strength, and we just go, I'll never make that checklist. And Jesus looks at us with those eyes of tenderness and love. The one who has loved us from before, while we were yet his enemies, he set his affections upon us. And he knows the power of love to cause the human heart to give everything for Jesus. And he says, lock eyes with me and go the distance. Lay down your life for love. I remember sitting with one of my heroes, one of my spiritual fathers. It was, it was again in my young 20s. And he says to me, so what's your life vision? And of course, I was a little thrown off, had to think for a second. He's like, yeah, tell me, what's your life vision? And something came out of my mouth like, you know, I want to have great impact on lots of people for God, you know? And so he's looking at me and he's smiling and he's like, is that it? And I remember looking at him going, is that the wrong answer? <laughs> you know, and, and he proceeded to tell me, you know, impact, that's, that's awesome, that's great. But what you were made for is the knowledge of God. Impact comes out of a fountain on the inside that you've stored up in knowing and loving and encountering God. When you stand before the throne of God, which you will, you really will. When you, you're you're going to lock eyes one day with the eyes of fire. And on that day, you know what? The, the subject matter will not be, what did you do? How many did you impact? How many did you tell? How many did you serve? The subject will be, did you learn to love? Did you learn to love? Because Jesus said of the first and second commandment, which are love, he says, the whole law and the prophets hang on these. The question at the throne is, did you learn to love? And that's the question that the Lord has before us today. He wants us to, to sign up in a way today to give ourselves to the journey of intimacy with God, of knowing Him, of knowing His heart. 
And again, the thing that brings us into that, above all else, is encountering the very love that he has for us. One of my favorite, how many of you have heard of Misty Edwards? One of my favorite choruses from the last few weeks, it's of Jesus and the cross, and she sings, arms wide open, heart exposed, bleeding, he was bleeding. Arms wide open, heart exposed, bleeding, he was bleeding. And she sings about the cross. The cross is that great pinnacle moment where God defines love. There he is, God in the flesh, arms spread open, heart exposed, bleeding. God saying, this is how I love you. This is how I love you. And I tell you, if you give yourself to the meditation on that love, there will be nothing in your life that you will not loose your fingers from. You know, the, the things that keep you earthbound, compromise, sin, whatever it is, everything that hinders love, when you give yourself to meditating on the love of Christ, you will have the power to, for, for your grip to be loosed from those things. That is the power of abandonment, the power of holiness. The saints are heroes of the faith, the saints through history. What they did was they gazed on the love of God and were transformed by it. There was something that went off in those years in my inner man, and it was a question the question was, why not me? Why not me? And I was thinking about all the saints of history. You know, whether it's the biblical saints, the apostles, the disciples, those that were, you know, with Jesus, Mary of Bethany, or the saints through church history. As their testimony and their light went forth, there was a cry that went out from my heart that I encourage every one of you to begin to ask, why not me? Why can't I love you as those in history have? Why can't I become a burning and shining lamp with the love of Christ? Why not me? The invitation is wide open. God is not keeping it from you. It will cost you everything. But joy unspeakable is found in love unrestrained. Joy unspeakable is found in love unrestrained. It's only the fully abandoned. When Jesus said, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, he was giving the window, the, the, the insight into where the human heart actually begins to live. It's only when we withhold nothing and we give him everything that we enter into the abundance of joy, the joy inexpressible and full of glory that Jesus created us for. God invites us to touch that kind of living. 
Again, it will cost us everything. That's the trouble with the gospel. It costs us everything in, this, in, in, in all that our world and culture would define as, as important. Oh, but there is joy unspeakable when we give him everything. So think about that love, the love that Jesus portrayed at the cross, the God upon a tree exposing his heart. These are the eyes. Again, back to, back to Jesus in the gospel, you're standing there. He meets your gaze and he says, love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. I'm giving you the insight into where all the joy is found. If you give me everything, you will know the fullness of joy. Do not hold back. There are vows that we make in our teen years, and then in our 20s, and then in our 30s. It's what David said the other night. You know, the vows that we pay to the Lord, they are so real before God. God is still taking me up on the vows I made in my teens. He's going, I believed you. You know what? You were 15 years old, but it was real. He was saying it was so real. Your heart said yes to me, and I said yes to you. And then at 20, when I said it again in a, in a brand new way, he said, okay, let's go then. I'll take you into heights you've never known, depths you've never known. There is a fellowship of suffering, and there is the power of the resurrection. You will know me. It will cost you everything, but it will be joy unspeakable if you give me everything. I want to look at a few portraits in Scripture of love unrestrained, love giving all. In Mark 12, we have the picture of the widow that gave her two mites. You know the story. One of the things I love about this story, again, I insert myself right into that gospel. That's what I encourage you to do. As you go through the gospels, you know what? God is the one who is the word, who lives outside of time. And though it is a historical event, it is ever speaking and it is to you. Put yourself right there in that crowd and meditate on it. Feel it. Touch him. Hear him. See him. Encounter him. He's here. He's given us everything that we might encounter him. So one of the things I love about this story is, is Jesus. The, the way that he, for some odd reason, is sitting close enough to the treasury to watch the exact amount that every person gives. And he's watching, and he's intrigued. He's watching what everyone in the line is bringing to the treasury. And one by one, they all come. And then comes the widow, and you know the story. She comes, and she brings two mites. I mean, worthless, meaningless, the amount is, is so seemingly inconsequential. And Jesus is stirred. And he turns to his disciples and he says, did you see that? 
and none of them caught it. They're like, what are you talking about? Did you see what she just did? And he says in verse 44, they all put in out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. And she gave more than all the rest. And that's the point, again, where everything is given and nothing is withheld. It's the highest love. And that's what this widow did. She had next to nothing, but she gave everything. And Jesus said she gave the most. And that's how it works in the economy of God. If we give him everything, all that we have, without withholding, he counts it as the highest love. Turn to Matthew 26. It's one of my favorites in all the Word of God. Look at verse 7, talking about Mary of Bethany. Mary of Bethany, you're probably really familiar with her and this story. She's got to be one of my favorites. I cannot wait to meet her. She was probably maybe 20, possibly younger. Here Jesus is. He's in his, you know, passion week right before the cross. His heart is heavy with what he's facing. He's tried to tell his disciples several times what's coming. They're kind of not really catching it. Mary, what we know from the scripture, Mary caught what was about to happen with Jesus. The reason we know that is because we know that before she brought that alabaster box before him, she had planned. It said that she had kept it for this day. And Mary comes in. Now, all the, all the disciples and others were gathered together at the house of Lazarus, at, at the house, sorry, at that house of, uh, I just drew a blank, Simon. And, and they were gathered together, and um, Mary does the unthinkable, <laughs> breaks all the rules. She comes in. It's not even her own house, so therefore we know she had to bring it with her. You know, they're walking to Simon's house. Lazarus and Martha look at Mary like, Mary, what's in the sack? What do you have? What are you bringing? And she brings this, this bottle of perfume, this, this most costly oil of that day. Now, what we can probably assume is that this bottle of perfume is her whole future. It's her dowry. It's her inheritance. The parents have died. They've left the house to Martha. Mary probably received this as her inheritance from their parents. She's carrying her whole future. It's her hope for tomorrow. And she brings it to this meeting with Jesus. And as they're all gathered around, she comes in. And we know the story. She breaks it over him fully, without restraint. $40,000 in our day. She breaks it over him. Unhindered, without questioning, she wastes it in a moment. And a silence 
goes throughout the room. It's indignation arising in the hearts of the apostles. They cannot believe what she's just done. Indignation mixed with fragrance. The room is saturated. And there's this delay before Jesus speaks. And here this little girl Mary, she's just given everything. She's given her all. And the, the argument would arise, Mary, what have you just done? That was everything you had. And she looks at Jesus and she, she says, no, he's all I have. And they say, Mary, that was your future. And she said, no, he's my future. They say, Mary, what are you doing? She says, I'm giving all just like he does. And there's this silence. Jesus has not vindicated her yet. There's this silence. And, and, and the apostles begin to say things. But in that silence, before Jesus speaks, you know, as the accusations are arising, why this waste? Why wasn't it given to the poor? Why did you do this, Mary? As the accusations arise, in the silence of Jesus, I believe, he was going back in his mind to eternity past. And he was thinking about the way that love loves. And he was thinking about the way even you know, at creation, when he and his father were creating all things, and when his delight, as he was dancing and spinning at creation, is from Proverbs 8, his delight was with the sons of men. And at creation, as they planned how all of it would be a big setup to be as a chamber for the bride of Christ to walk within, they caused everything to be absolutely extravagant and abundant and too much and unnecessary in beauty. Have you ever thought about how unnecessary is every single sunset? Have you ever thought about how unnecessary is every single flower? He did not have to do that. He could have made the whole thing black and white. He did it for love. Is anybody listening? He causes this, his sun to rise, Psalm 19. Every day it comes forth out of his chamber like a bridegroom to declare the love of God to anyone who has ears to hear and eyes to see. Absolutely unnecessary. Science has no good reason for it. It's unnecessary love. It's extravagant. It's waste. It's abundant excess and waste. It's the way he's always loved. It's the way he loved in creation. It's the way he loved in the giving of his only son. It's the way he loved in the giving of his life. And now Jesus sees Mary and she just gave everything without restraint. And I think he looked upon that offering and said, that's how I love. That's how I and my father Love. Love gives all. And when Jesus vindicates her, he says one of the most baffling statements in all the Word of God. In Matthew 26, verse 13, he says, listen to me. Wherever my gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Do you know what I think that means? He's saying, whenever you preach my gospel in the whole world, 
It wasn't as though he just wanted to give honor to her. Like, oh, I love that you did that. Isn't that awesome? I just want to honor you. So whenever they talk about me, I want them to talk about you just to honor you. No. He was saying, Mary, you've just helped me tell my story. You've just helped me illustrate it. So wherever my gospel is preached, include her. Tell her story too because she's helped me tell mine. She gave all, just like I give all, all for love, without restraint. She gave me everything. That's what love does. So when you tell my gospel, include her story. This is what love looks like. There's an invitation to each one of us to give him all in excess in abandonment, in the kind of abandonment that all around you will say, waste, foolish, and there will be indignation at such extravagance. But God is asking for each of our hearts, he's, he's calling forth a generation for excessive abandonment, giving all even as he has given all. We give all for love because we've been ruined by love. I believe Mary of Bethany was ruined by love. She'd heard his words. She knew he was God. She was ruined so much that she'd give everything. So often we have so many excuses about wholeheartedness. You know, we, we think that in different seasons, it'll actually happen. But this one, it's just not convenient. God invites us, even today, in a new way to pay him our vows of love. He's given that invitation of, there's a whole ocean in the love of God, in knowing my heart that you've not yet known. He's asking us to give him everything. Again, that's the, the trouble with the gospel. It doesn't sit well in our culture, doesn't sit well in our day and age, and nor has it ever and nor will it ever. It will cost us everything that the world holds valuable. One of my favorite verses is Song of Solomon 8, 7. It says, and I'll have Stephanie come on up. It says, if a man were to give for love, all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Let me say it again. Song of Solomon 8, 7. If a man were to give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. What that means is, if a man gave everything, even as, as we've just seen Mary of Bethany portrayed, if a man gave everything for love and withheld nothing, if someone came to that man and said, wow, that's so awesome, that's so noble, how could you have even done that? Even the statement that someone would, would speak of it in such a manner he would utterly despise. 
Let me put it before you in the, in the way of a parent to a child. Let's say a, a father has a little daughter who's diagnosed with a disease that cannot be cured without the highest medical treatment that will actually cost the father and mother's whole livelihood. They'd have to sell their house, sell their car, sell everything to pay for the, the certain surgery that will cure their little daughter. So they do it. I mean, house up for sale that day, car up for sale, sell it, get it out, get the money, get the doctor paid, get my little girl in surgery. If the, little, if the neighbor came up later and said, wow, I can't believe you did that. Like, how could you have, wow, you sold your house and your car and you sold everything. It would be so despicable that such a statement could be made because it was for love. Obviously, you've never known love to say such a statement. Love gives all. And if a man were to give everything that he had, if a man were to give all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Paul says the same thing. I count it all loss. It's rubbish for the excellence that I may know him. That's what love does. We come to that place where we would give all for love and we utterly despise the recognition because the love is burning on the inside. Let's all stand. You've just heard one of the speakers from Desperation, a ministry of New Life Church in Colorado Springs. For more information on becoming a Desperation intern, attending one of our conferences, or joining the Desperation National Network for local churches, visit us at desperationonline.com.